Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Hi there. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited. We're starting to get messages from people who have got their tickets for the live show in Nashville on the 27th of February. So far, we've heard from uh, people coming in from Dallas, Mm -hmm. Alabama, Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan. They're flying down from Michigan for the show. Asheville, North Carolina. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited to meet you and and hang and I just, yay! And we do have the uh, general admission tickets and then there are VIP tickets as well, which um, are premium seating and meeting great after the show. And it's 20 bucks for general admission, $30 for the VIP. Keep in mind, um, this is not family friendly. We are uh, horrible people who say horrible things (laughs) and we swear sometimes. Yep, it happens. So, yeah, that's just in case you're curious. Yeah, don't bring the kids. (laughs) If you want to get your tickets, uh, you can do so by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Click on the live show link, and there you go. Links are all on our um, social media as well. Yes, you can find it anywhere. And again, it's going to be February 27th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville, our very first live show. And if it goes well... Maybe we'll do more. I hope so. So looking forward to meeting you. Also very much looking forward to our very special uh, blossom with a Halloween episode. And that's going to be in just a couple of days. Very special blossom. (laughs) That was the episode where she got her period, right? Right. Okay. That was very special. I go first today. I got this uh, email. Well, we did, but I intercepted it and stole the idea. Okay. From Billy. Billy says, you should do an episode on the toxic lady. She emitted unknown fumes and ended up making people sick. 
it's still somewhat of a mystery. Now, it's interesting. I had this on my on my list of stories to do. Oh. And since we got an email from him suggesting it, I thought that was a sign. So, so we will talk about Gloria Ramirez, the toxic lady. Yes, please. The toxic lady. Yeah, I almost, I really kind of, I'm uncomfortable calling her that, but that's what everybody calls her. She's become known as the toxic lady. According to Discover Magazine, at about 8.15 in the evening of February 19th, 1994, paramedics showed up at uh, the emergency room of General Hospital in the Southern California city of Riverside. Mm, General uh, Hospital? Yeah, that's, the gen- not the TV show. No, not the TV oh. show. The actual general hospital. They came bursting through the double glass doors, veered to the left, found a place in the emergency room to wheel her into. They drew the curtains around her. She was in bad shape. She was only wearing shorts and and a t-shirt. She was awake. She was somewhat responding to questions, but Mm -hmm. having difficulty doing so somewhat incoherent utterances and you you could tell that she knew that people were trying to get her to answer questions and she was trying but wasn't able to really make any sense she was breathing very shallowly very rapid breaths and i guess her heartbeat was uh, was extremely rapid and when your heart beats that rapidly it doesn't allow the chambers of the heart to fill with blood that's being pumped so her blood pressure was going down right. rapidly. The only thing that was unusual was was her age because she was only 31 years old. Because when most people show up at the emergency room with those types of symptoms, they're, they're elderly. Okay. Okay. She was suffering from cervical cancer. So the medical staff all rushed to the area that Gloria was in and they were all busily circling her and hooking her up to machines. Mm-hmm. And they gave her a, a sedative cocktail, which included like lorazepam and clonopin, what they call a standard sedative suite. Now, I'm sorry, is the respiratory and the heart stuff separate from her cervical cancer? They're not, they they didn't know. Okay. See, that was the thing. Okay. I guess when the body's shutting down, anything can, can present. Sure. It was an unexpected uh, set of symptoms for where she was at the time. Okay. With her illness. So they hook her up to uh, one of those respirator things, you know, the big, like the The machine that goes ping. The machine that goes ping. Put the mask over and then the bellows pump air in and out of your um, into your lungs to keep you breathing. It's kind of an alternative to mouth to mouth resuscitation. It became clear that uh, she was not responding to any of this poorly. Anyway, the staff tried to uh, defibrillate her heart with electricity. Uh, They stripped off her shirt and they pressed the uh, paddles to her chest and, and shocked her. At that point, they noticed that she had like this oily sheen all over her body and they didn't know what it was but it had a strange she was giving off a strange odor it was described as a a combination of a garlic like odor and fruity at the same time they thought initially it was coming from her mouth but it was actually coming from her pores probably because of this oily substance that was all over her body sure my first thought would be cheap body lotion smells just like dior miss sherry Mm, does not. Smells like strawberries and garlic. So a registered nurse named Susan Kane was instructed to uh, obtain some blood for analysis. So she swabbed Ramirez's arm with uh, rubbing alcohol. She inserted a catheter and attached a syringe. A syringe? A syringe. A syringe. And that's when things started getting really crazy. Okay. Because she started to get sick. The, uh, the, the nurse, nurse started to, to feel woozy. 
She looked down at the syringe as it filled, and she noticed a, a, a kind of a chemical smell to the blood. And in the blood, it looked like there was like crystalline particles. What? Yeah, she didn't know what they were. Whoa, I don't like she that. handed the syringe over to uh, another nurse. Mm-hmm. What? How have we been together this long, and I never realized you couldn't say the word syringe? Syringe. <laughs> syringe. Syringe. <laughs> You're trying to cut out that middle syllable altogether. You're like, syringe. 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 I love it. (laughs) Okay, so nurse is sick. Right. So Kane handed the syringe to Welch, who was another nurse standing by, and she leaned closer to the dying woman to try to trace the source of the odor. Where is this coming from? Right, she's sniffing her all over. Sniffing her up and down. And then she sniffed the syringe. And, you know, she did the whole thing. Hey, this cell smells terrible. You smell it. And so she she handed it over to uh, the other nurse who sniffed it. And uh, they both thought it had uh, like a kind of a chemical smell to it. One said it was kind of like ammonia. But then they passed it to another nurse. And then she passed it to uh, a medical resident named Julie Gorinsky, who noticed the unusual particles floating in the blood. At that point, Kane turned toward the door of the trauma room and started swaying. Somebody yelled, catch her. They lunged for her, they caught her as she passed out, and they gently laid her down limp on the floor of the trauma center. Kane said that her face was, it felt like it was burning. At that point, they put her on a gurney and they took her out of the trauma room and into a different one. This sounds like an episode of The X-Files. It sounds like The X-Files. Oh my goodness. Gorinsky too, started to feel kind of queasy. She was complaining that she was lightheaded. Uh, she left the trauma room and sat at the nurse's desk. A, a doctor came by and said, are, are you all right? And she said she thought that she was, but then she slumped over and, and passed out. Jeez Louise. At the nursing station. She was the second member at Riverside Emergency Room to be wheeled away from the trauma room on a gurney. Yeah, I think I would be doing like some sort of... You know, woot, 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 shutdown kind of deal. Yeah. You know, slam the doors. Curtain this place off. Let's get the masks in here. Like the hazmat team. Yeah. Yeah. Quarantine kind of deal. She shook intermittently over and over again. She would stop breathing for several seconds. That's a condition, of course, known as apnea. Now, back in the trauma room, Welch, the other nurse, became the third to succumb. She said, I remember hearing someone scream. Then I woke up and I couldn't control the movements of my limbs. Oh my gosh. She slumped over onto the floor as well. According to Wikipedia, overall, 23 people became ill and five were hospitalized, some seriously. Well, they didn't have far to go. A skeleton crew stayed behind to stabilize Ramirez at 8.50 p.m. after 45 minutes of CPR and defibrillation. Um, She was pronounced dead. At oh, that point, from kidney failure related to her cancer. That was the official cause. At about 10 o'clock that evening, the hazmat team descended upon the hospital. They quarantined off the area. I'm sure. They removed people from the hospital to the parking lot. While they did this, uh, they interviewed 34 different hospital staff who had been working in uh, the emergency department on February 19th. And they used a standard questionnaire. People who had worked within two feet of Ramirez and had handled intravenous lines had been at high risk. Those were the ones that seemed to be most affected by these strange reactions. So the closer that you were to her actual blood? Yes. Okay. Other factors uh, that correlated with severe symptoms did not appear to match a scenario in which fumes had been released. The survey found that uh, those affected tended to be women rather than men. Women seemed to react to it and men didn't. 
They did toxicology reports. They did blood tests on everybody that was exposed to this, and everything came back normal. So the hospital's official stance was it was mass hysteria. But there were chunks in her blood. There were chunks in her blood, yeah. Now, when they said it was mass hysteria, the the entire staff of the hospital said, no. Got hysterical? No. I bet. It wasn't some sort of uh, mass hallucination or mass hysteria because they see things like that all the time. Right. And worse. Minus the chunky blood. That's true. Oh, that's so shitty. (laughs) Oh, it's probably mass hysteria. Yeah. Right. Really? 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 Gorchinsky said that, uh, of course, she denied the whole mass hysteria thing. She spent two weeks in intensive care with breathing problems. She developed hepatitis, avascular necrosis in her knees. Uh, Riverside Coroner's Office contacted Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory to investigate the incident. So they sent out organic tissue, blood samples, and you know things for them to, to investigate. Sure, with. you definitely want to spread that. Just put it in the post. No big deal. So Livermore Labs said that... Uh, this is what they thought. They thought that Ramirez had been using DMSO. I don't know what that is. Dimethyl sulfoxide. It's a solvent that's used as a, uh, among other things, powerful degreaser. Now, back in the 70s, especially, uh, DMSO treatment was all the rage with like athletes who had sore limbs. Then it became something that uh, people self-administered for arthritis. But it, I'm sorry, it's a degreaser? Well, it's found in a degreaser. Okay. It's one of the chemical compounds in a degreaser. And so people, I guess, on occasion would go, because they couldn't buy DMSO over the counter, they would go and get degreaser and put it on their joints. And they say that uh, the substance has a bit of a garlic taste and smell to it as well. It's sold in gel form at hardware stores, and that could explain the appearance of Ramirez's body being kind of oily. Mm -hmm. So they theorized that uh, Ramirez had used this gel compound from a hardware store that included DMSO in its compounds, and that was in her system. That might have built up because she had kind of an unusual urinary blockage due to kidney failure. But the DMSO alone wouldn't have caused this. It had to be changed into dimethyl sulfon, which is DMSO2. Now, that is known to crystallize at room temperatures. Oh. So the theory was when they drew blood out of her, Uh out of her warmer body. Right. And it became cooled by the room temperature. It had crystallized. So that kind of lined up. But even DMSO2 wouldn't cause those types of reactions. It had to change to DMSO4, dimethyl sulfate. And they think that maybe that happened when they administered the electric paddles for the defibrillation, that the shock, the electrical shock, transformed the DMSO2 into DMSO4, which is highly toxic. It's a compound from sulfuric acid. Oh, wow. An exposure could have caused uh, some of the reported symptoms that the emergency staff had uh, experienced. So in their theory, in their opinion, it was a strange, bizarre collection of events. She had... DMSO in her system, this is their theory. Mm -hmm, Because she had rubbed herself all over with degreaser. Right. That uh, when the paramedics showed up, they administered oxygen, Mm -hmm. which helps to transform that into DMSO2. The coming in contact with high concentrations of oxygen can turn it to DMSO2. The DMSO2 was then changed to DMSO4 when she was uh, exposed to electric shock. Mm -hmm. The crystals were 
the DMSO2 reaching room temperature and crystallizing. So it all kind of Whoa. made sense. How have, have I never heard of people treating their sore muscles with degreaser before? <laughs> it was a big thing in the 70s. The 70s were a weird time. It was a weird time. But this all sounds really good. Except? That they've not been able to recreate it anywhere in, in the laboratory tests. This uh, paper was written up. It was submitted for peer review. It was approved by peers. It showed up in a major medical journal. Mm -hmm. It's generally thought that that was the reason for her toxicity. Mm -hmm. They cannot recreate it. In theory, it makes sense. Well, I mean, how are you going to recreate that? You're not going to use a person to attempt to make that happen again. Sure, sure. And maybe there's something else going on inside the human body that would be required to create that series of yeah. unfortunate events. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate series of events. One of the other theories was that she had uh, large concentrations of ammonia built up in her urine and the sink had been bleached. Oh. And they thought maybe that had created, you know, toxic gases. Right, but that wouldn't explain the crystals in her blood. No, exactly. So they, that was that was uh, thrown out as a as an idea, as a theory. 2 months after Ramirez died, her badly decomposed body was released for an independent autopsy and burial. They had kept it in the morgue for 2 months and apparently even though it was refrigerated and it started breaking down because of what whatever was going on in there. Sure. The Ramirez family pathologist was unable to determine a cause of death because her heart was missing. Um, her other or organs had been cross-contaminated with fecal matter. Sure. Her body was just too badly decomposed. Ten weeks after her death, Ramirez was buried at Olivewood Memorial Park in Riverside in an unmarked grave. Unmarked because they didn't want people messing with it? I think because, because of the notoriety of the case... They just wanted her to rest in peace. Oh, all right. Is everything around the, the grave, like, growing normally? That's an excellent question. Thank you. I imagine that would be really hard on a family because, you, first of all, you don't know what's going on. And then you've got this, like, elongated period of time where you're just, your family member's body's not being released to you. And you don't know what happened. And she yeah. made other people ill. It's awful. Several did get very, very ill, but then ultimately did recover. The sad thing for me about this is that she is remembered as the toxic lady and not 31-year-old Gloria Ramirez, who died from cervical cancer right. and then buried in an unmarked grave. But she will forever be known as the toxic lady. Even in medical journals, they list the case as the toxic lady. Wow. So there you go. So what have we learned? Don't rub shit from a hardware store all over your body. Right. The more you know. Do, 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 do. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. All right, That Thing in the Middle. I was talking to a friend of mine because, you know, Halloween's coming up, and he was telling me about the year that he forgot to buy candy, and uh, kids were showing up, and he had broken his shoulder so he couldn't get out and go to the store and get candy, so he just went through his cupboard to see what he had, and he ended up giving out individual packets of instant oatmeal. <laughs> oh, the children's eyes must have lit up with delight. I don't know. I love that brown sugar and cinnamon. Is it, wait, wait. Yeah, no, yeah. which one is it? Is it brown sugar and cinnamon? Yes. Yeah, that one's good. Yes, queen. <laughs> Here is a list of uh, some of the least loved non-candy Halloween treats that uh, people have handed out. I think in my time, I've received every single one of these. Number five, pennies. 
what the fuck? <laughs> Don't give me your spare change, and right. if you are, give me silver. You are cheap, and now my hands smell weird. <laughs> I do not like this. Number four, homemade anything. Yes. I will not eat your popcorn balls. Stop it. Yeah, that was the worst. You'd get homemade popcorn balls in a baggie. Ugh. Come on. No, thank you. We got that every year from the same neighbor. I would just throw it at their garage window. Number three, coupons. Okay, maybe, you know, back in the day, you would remember when they had McDonald's coupons, McDonald's gift certificates, and people would give them out at Christmas and stuff. Maybe if you did something like that, where you would take it and get something free. But don't give me a dollar off coupon for Kimby's. Number two, canned food. A can of sugar beets or candied yams might seem great to some people, but it's not something to give trick-or-treaters. Plus, it's a safety hazard. Their little tiny knees knocking up against that bag filled with canned goods. <laughs> Stop it. Although, your bag full of canned goods can serve as a weapon to fend off Halloween attackers. That's true. Did you ever have anybody steal your Halloween candy? No. Really? I didn't grow up in a 1970s movie. I lived in one, so... <laughs> And number one, toothbrushes. Yeah, 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 we get it. Candy's bad for your teeth. Don't give me a toothbrush. I actually never hated the toothbrush. We had one guy in town site, which was the little uh, town area that they built up near the mill in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And one of those guys, uh, I don't even think he was like a dentist or anything. I just, he was really into oral hygiene. He handed out toothbrushes and floss and I thought it was great. I loved getting a new toothbrush. Weirdo. <laughs> I'll trade you my toothbrush for your Kit Kat. Mm. Yeah, that's how much you love toothbrushes. <laughs> The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You know how I love a puzzle. I know you love puzzles. Whenever we travel, you bring a puzzle with you. And we both love true crime. And I think we've seen every murder she wrote there is. <laughs> That's not something to brag about. Uh, but yes, true. And we like to solve the crimes as we're watching. We have a competition when we're watching mm -hmm. shows like this to see who can figure it out first. So that's why we're so excited about Hunt a Killer. Yeah, this is a great new immersive game that you can play. It puts you right in the game. It's a monthly subscription, so it shows up to you. And a fictional serial killer sends you cryptic clues, objects, and letters. So you can use those things to solve the crime in real time. Hunt a Killer is perfect to play solo, as a date night, or for game night with friends so you can exchange theories. I love the idea of it being like an early date night so you can really get to know, like, is this person worth spending the rest of my sure. life with? Sure. Are they... Or are they a dum-dum who can't solve crimes? <laughs> It'll quickly become your new obsession. Over 60,000 people have joined Hunt a Killer's online community and have over a thousand five-star customer reviews. So you know it's good. And we thought you'd really enjoy it being a, a listener of the box of oddities we're so excited to play and we want you to play with us our box hasn't arrived yet so you've got time so you can get yours at the same time that we get ours and we'll start it all together and we'll exchange theories and it'll be so awesome we just ordered it but uh i've already been at the mailbox three times today waiting for it we're so excited and right now just for our listeners you can go to huntakiller.com slash box for 10% off your first box. They only accept 200 members per day, so hurry to take advantage of this offer. That's huntakiller.com slash box for 10% off your first box. huntakiller.com slash box. See if you've got what it takes to get into the mind of a serial killer and solve the mystery. And do it with us. It'll be fun. 
Again? Hunt. Ah. Killer. Dot. Com. Slash. Box. 10% off is what you get on your first box. And you support the box of oddities. We all have stuff. I have too much of it, actually, and not enough places to keep it in. Oh, you're talking about emotional stuff. Yeah. I still have not enough place to keep all my emotional stuff. (laughs) There's all this baggage. And there's big stuff, and then there's the daily stuff. For me, daily stuff was getting to be a big thing. It was like all of the little things that I'd always been able to kind of manage on my own were just kind of culminating into one giant storm cloud of big Mm -hmm. thing. Sure. It was very strange. I found one of the best things that I could use to help improve my state of being was breathing. Just the simple act of measured breathing and being aware of my breath. And the Calm app helps me so much with that. You know, even if you're not into meditating, it's so much more than that. It could be just, as you mentioned, uh, controlled breathing. And we've mentioned before the sleep stories, how much we love the sleep stories. It's like a grown-up bedtime story. where you, you crawl into bed, you tuck yourself in, and then you turn on the Calm app, and it tells you a story until you fall asleep. I want to know what the ends of these stories are like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always fall asleep way too soon. But also in the sleep section, they've got uh, music, they've got nature sounds. Yeah, some really cool soundscapes that involve a little bit of music, but also those nature sounds, they kind of all mix together for one beautiful melty song for you for the melting. It's calm. And that's why we're excited to partner with Calm. Calm is the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was even named Apple's 2017 app of the year. It's like a toolbox to help you live a happier, healthier, more mindful life. Now, again, it's great for meditation, but you don't have to meditate to really appreciate the calming effects of the Calm app. But if you want to get into meditation, they have um, some really cool ways to help guide you into it. So you can get good at meditation. I believe in you. And so does the Calm app. For a limited time, the Box of Oddities listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash box. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com slash box. That's calm.com slash box, C-A-L-M dot com slash box. Not only do you get the 25% off the Calm Premium subscription, but you support the Box of Oddities. (sighs) The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. Okay. You go what you got uh, for me. Mmm, this is dark. And awful. Well, it is Halloween week. Deal yourself for this story. It's rough. It's April 23rd, 2006, in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. And the bodies of husband Mark Richardson, aged 42, and wife Deborah, 48, were found in the basement of their home. And the body of their son, Tyler Jacob, aged 8, was discovered upstairs. The three were dead. Missing from the home was 12-year-old Jasmine Richardson. The Richardson family had been found when um, a neighbor told reporters um, a young boy went over to visit his friend, 
Tyler Jacob, and thought he saw a body through the window. So he ran home to tell his mother, um, who then called the police. Police arrived on the scene. They looked into the basement window where he saw at least one person on the ground. He called officers for backup, thinking maybe... You know, they were maybe somebody in the house was still alive. Sure, sure. Um, but that wasn't the case. Everybody was dead. Police released a statement that said that they were searching for the Richardson's daughter, Jasmine, regarding a serious family matter and sent out an Amber Alert. As they investigated, um, searched her school locker, talked to her friends, though they realized that she was most likely not in danger. Um, instead, she was dangerous. On the run. She was on the run and arrested the following day in the community of Leader, Saskatchewan, which is about 81 miles away, with her 23-year-old boyfriend, Jeremy Allen Steinke. And he was how, she was how old? 12. And he was 23? Yes. Okay. So Jasmine had met Steinke at a punk rock concert and immediately was intrigued by his very goth lifestyle. So he wore all black. He wore eyeliner. Um, he wore a vial of blood around his neck. Oh, yeah. And photographs on her MySpace page showed that as they began spending time together, her appearance started to really mm. change. She mm. was very clean cut to begin with. And then over a very short period of time, you know, darkened her appearance. Stunky had grown up with an alcoholic mother whose various boyfriends had abused him. He was bullied by his classmates in school. At the age of 13, he was diagnosed with depression and hyperactivity and had later tried to hang himself. And mm. according to friends of Jasmine, um, the girl's parents had punished her for sneaking out and seeing Steinke uh, due to their age disparity. Well, at, sure. I mean, at the very least, it's 100% not okay. So her friends had also criticized their relationship. They were like, this isn't normal. Mm. It's weird. You're and 12. Also because he claimed that he was a 300-year-old werewolf. Wow. That's not the kind of thing you put on your dating profile. Yeah. So they were spending time together. She was sneaking out. Her parents had said, you are not to see him. They forbade it. And she, at 12, was thinking that she was in love. And he was all kinds of broken and taking advantage of this young girl and had told his friends that he was concerned that she was going to leave him, which blows my fucking mind. I can't, I can't fathom anyone not reporting this to the police in the first place. That was my first thought. Right. You know, if, if I was one of her parents, that would have been one of the first things I, right. I did was call and say, hey, this guy, he's 23, well, or 300, we're not sure. And right. uh, if he's 300, that's even worse because he's 288 years older than our daughter. Right. Any one of her friends, too, I, it surprises me because even at 12, like I can picture my friend Keegan going, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> like, and, and just, like <laughs> um, no. 
So the two were arrested. And as they started investigating what had gone on here, um, they had found that uh, Steinke had uh, confessed to the murders uh, to undercover police. And they found that uh, there had been online accounts belonging to both of them that revealed that it was actually Jasmine who had come up with the plan. Really? No kidding. Writing to Jeremy online, she said, I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. Jasmine had actually discussed her plans to kill her parents with her friends, but no one believed her. Oh, my God. So piecing the events together. Um, I should say, by the way, I got all of this information from uh, Wikipedia, from allthatsinteresting.com, and an article on news.com.au. So the police started piecing together uh, the things that they were finding. Um, they found that Deborah had been killed first. That was the mother? Yes. Okay. Stunky had stabbed her at least a dozen times. And then the father uh, came to her aid and tried to fight back with a screwdriver, but he was stabbed to death as well. Mm. Jasmine had gone upstairs to kill her little brother. She later told the court that she thought it was cruel to leave him without parents. So she'd stabbed him and slit his throat. Oh my God. Boy, when you said it's dark, you weren't kidding. No, it's awful. And there, there's some of her testimony about how that whole thing went down that just are, it's her specifically killing her little brother. There are details about it. It's just so awful. How old was he? Eight. Eight years old. She was 12. So at her 2007 trial, Richardson, who was only identified as J.R. at the time because of her age. So they had said her name when they were looking for her. Mm -hmm. But then immediately, once they realized that she was a suspect, they had to stop using her name. So they referred to her as J.R. And she said during the trial, um, she pleaded not guilty and said that she had had hypothetical conversations about killing her family, but didn't intend on ever going through with it. But then we discover that, you know, she was actually the one who killed her little brother. Tragic beyond words. It's it's awful. And one of the articles that I read, it started by saying that originally police had thought that Jasmine was a victim, but then realized that she wasn't. And I kind of have to disagree because she obviously was a victim in this, even though she initiated it because she had these ideas and she thought she was in love and she thought this was a way. There's no way that she's not also a victim in this. Well, I would she's, agree with that. And, and to take it then another step so is Steinke the the guy because uh, right I it's mean tough. he was abused by his alcoholic father and whatever else happened to him yeah it, who who really is to blame it's here? tough because he was obviously mentally ill yes and it's but at the same time you can't it's hard to look at a situation where an adult man takes mm -hmm. advantage of mm -hmm. a child yep. and not go you, you're right. the problem. Yeah, that's right. Um, but then you see where, where it's, you can't, it's, there's yeah. no winning. There's no. no answer. There's no winning. It's fucking awful. We as, as people need to, for whatever reason, find the source. Mm -hmm. We need someone to blame. But in this case, and, and certainly there's plenty of blame to, to go around, especially for Steinke. But it seems like it's a perfect storm of awful. It is. 
it seems like there was kind of this desperate need to appear a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Steinke had told police right after he was arrested that they had watched Natural Born Killers the night before and that it was the most perfect love story. And I mean, there was obviously something wrong with his brain and you you just can't. It's just there's no good in it. It's just wretched and awful. And it makes me feel all kinds of upset. Well, it makes it makes one feel powerless. Yeah. I think when you can't say, well, that was the reason that it happened. Right. So in June 2007, uh, Jasmine's now 14 and she went on trial for three counts of first degree murder. She was found guilty on all three and sentenced to 10 years in jail, which is actually the maximum allowed by Canada's Youth Criminal Justice Act. In 2008, Steinke was found guilty of three counts of first degree murder and sentenced to three concurrent life sentences in prison with an earliest parole date of 25 years. Steinke's friend, who was 19, her name was Casey Lancaster. She was also charged for being an accessory for uh, driving the two away from the murder in her pickup truck and uh, later in the day disposing of evidence. Why? I don't know. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. As a 19-year-old, I was I was all kinds of stupid, of course, but I can't imagine not protecting a 12-year-old, right. you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Just, I don't know. I don't know. But, it, I mean, I don't know. In September 2011, Jasmine began attending classes at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta for the last years of her sentence. She was sentenced to a psychiatric hospital and then was released in fall of 2011. And then in October 2012, it was reported that her rehabilitation was going well. She expressed remorse for her actions and experts considered that genuine. And in May 2016, her sentence was completed and she was freed of any further court-ordered conditions restrictions of supervision and her final sentence review was on may 6th 2016 so um she is a free woman uh right now jasmine richardson is thought to be the youngest person in canada ever convicted of multiple first degree murder counts what's her life like now do we know Mm -mm. Hmm. she's just keeping a low profile yeah. yeah i think that's probably wise wow wow that's intense. Rough, right? Yeah, and it happened in Canada. Well, their their murder rate is is so much lower per capita and on average, certainly compared to the United States anyway. Yeah, it's it's rough. And I think the hardest thing for me is when I think of who I was at 12. Yeah. You know, there I you couldn't get me to finish the dishes, let alone complete some sort of master plan to murder my family it's just it's mind-blowing to me that there was this kind of thought process and energy toward creating violence and it's just like i said who i was at 12 was just so different from this world entirely yeah when i was 12 my my interest is just totally centered around playing baseball and um and my guinea pig i had a little guinea pig his name was honey oh yeah he was was a cute (laughs) little boy the only friend I had. Right, because you were living in Canada. I was living in Canada. Wow, that's right. I was. I was living in Canada when I was 12. Weird. Anyway, and I love Canada, by the way. Oh, me too. We love you, Canadians. We love you, eh? <sighs> well, that was depressing. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's it Halloween. Rough. Halloween week. 
It's it's a week of darkness. What you did give us was plenty. Mm. <laughs> I don't need to know anymore no, at this no, no, point. No, 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 no. Um, but yeah. Kind of wish I had gone first. Because it's always hard to transition from that into, hey, okay, see you later. All right then. Yeah. Good times. Happy face, man. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard to come out of an episode like this and then end on it. So we need something uplifting, something happy, something nice. Can you think of anything? No. Oh, we finished The Haunting of Hill House. I really enjoyed that. Also depressing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So maybe that's not the right thing. No, to... okay. Uh, oh. Do you have anything? Yeah, okay. All right. So um, Jonathan Van Ness, you know. Queer Eye? From Queer Eye. Yeah. Um, he also has a podcast called Getting Curious, which mm-hmm. is super awesome. And if you're looking for a departure from the oddities, um, well, that's not it. But um, <laughs> it's 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 about learning and it's amazing. And I would definitely suggest checking it out. But I follow him on Instagram because you absolutely should. And he started doing like this swirly thing with his mustache. And I've got to say, it is pleasing. I am 100% behind that mustache. It looks old timey. It's amazing and beautiful. Look at this. He's with Ted Danson in this picture. I want to party with those two. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I love him. The Box of Oddities normally twice a week. This week, three times. Tres. Yes, tres. Or uh, toi. Toi. <laughs> right. There we go. That's three languages we just spoke in. Oh, yeah. Nice. The reason being, of course, our Halloween episode drops. Uh, that'll be at midnight on Tuesday night, East Coast time here in the U.S., And whatever time it is, wherever the hell you are. Right. We can't be in charge of that. No, we've tried to be in control of your time zone. We visited Ecuador once. Uh, We were there for eight days and we never realized we were in a different time zone. (laughs) That's true. It was not until the second time we went to Ecuador that we realized we were in a different time zone. Yeah, we showed up late for everything. Oh, man. I never realized what a dum-dum I was until (laughs) that. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see you uh, Wednesday, Halloween. Ooh, ooh, so <laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. 
And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.